0: Scott Luna here again from Breakaway Seminar and this is the next episode in our Dear Scott series where you send me a question and I put it up here on the video and do my very best to answer the question. So our next question, Dear Scott, can you share your insights around the importance of an analytics dashboard? All right, so what this question is pertaining to is is, uh, having software that Mines the data out of your practice management software and creates these dashboards of numbers so that you can track things like case acceptance percentages, reappointment rates, diagnosis rates, um, the health of your collections, all these numbers that are very important to, to understand as the CEO of your company, but these numbers many times don't exist in your practice management software. So sometimes you have to have a an outside kind of add-on software that you hire, you pay for, that is going to pull these numbers out and create a dashboard. All right, so of course you want to share my insights around the importance of such a dashboard. Okay, very important to have these things. Um, you know, a practice that does not use an analytics dashboard, it kind of reminds me of being a dentist If you had to do dentistry without taking x-rays, what would that be like? What would it be like to be a dentist that is not taking x-rays? All the problems you'd find, you wouldn't find until they're blowouts. And any problems that are small and remain small, you won't even know exist. You end up becoming a very reactive dentist clinically if you never took x-rays. You were just going to react to big problems you see. You're not really going to be able to prevent problems from getting big when they're small. That's what it's like to run a dental practice without having an analytics dashboard. You're only going to see the business problems when they blow up on you and you're going to become a reactive dentist. It's going to be very stressful where you're running your company based on putting out fires, based on these sticky notes and these crisis moments. And what you have a hard time doing is slightly adjusting your company whenever something slightly gets out of whack because you never see it. You never measure it. You don't see that x-ray. You don't see that analytics dashboard. So um, if I think about what does it take to be a good CEO of a dental practice? One aspect is you have to run the practice based on your financials. You have to run it based on your analytics, and you have to manage the team. Okay. Your financials, your profit and loss statements are going to show you the things you spend money on. Primarily, when you look at financials, you're looking at expenses, expenses try to make sure you're controlling those in the best way possible. Managing your team has to do with having meetings and communication and impacting them and influencing them and serving them so that they in turn can do their job the proper way and serve the patient the best way possible. That's managing your team. The third pillar of being a CEO is managing the analytics because the analytics aren't necessarily looking at your team. They're not necessarily looking at your expenses. They're looking at the effectiveness of your day-to-day operations. Are you collecting money? Are you gaining case acceptance? Are you reappointing patients properly? Are those things healthy? The things we do every single day in the laboratories and in the front office, many of those things have a number that can be measured, have a dashboard or a scorecard we can create. And the laziest way I know to be a CEO, a highly effective CEO in dental practice is in part to look at a dashboard because in a split second in time, I can answer some very big, deep, important questions around things like case acceptance. So imagine a practice where you look at the dashboard at a very specific time every single day or every single week, and you're not trying to understand everything you see, you're only going to focus on the things that are off. And when you focus on the things that are off, they're typically barely off because they weren't off last week. Now they're off this week. So it's just the beginning of a problem. And that causes you to then focus correctly in your operations. Let's say your reappointments are off. Hygiene patients are being reappointed 95% or greater anymore. You've dropped below 95%. Now, you know, as CEO, okay, for the next week in the morning huddle, I'm going to remind everyone, hey, we need to make sure that every patient gets reappointed in six months for hygiene visit. Last week, we kind of dipped below the threshold. So we need to get back up this week. And every morning huddle wanted to do that. And because it's something I focus on, they focus on it. We achieve it just like that. It wasn't a fire. It didn't blow up on us. It wasn't hard. It wasn't stressful. And I knew it was, it needed to be looked at because I had the dashboard. I can't imagine running a practice at a high level without having a score, a dashboard. It'd be too stressful. It'd be too much work. I'd never get to everything I need to get to. It always seemed like something would be wrong. It'd be very stressful. I, could, I couldn't do it as well as if I had a dashboard. All right, so I hope that helps answer that question. Next question. Dear Scott, can you talk about having a great team and what it takes to find one? <laughs> well, first of all, I don't know how to find a great team. I, I don't know what, what, like greatteam.com, that's where you go to get all your great team members. I haven't found that to exist. And when I am when I interview people, um, there's definitely ways to minimize the risk of hiring the wrong person. There's some um, surveying and analytics you could run, uh, things that they do, they t- the tests they take, to tell you how their personality profile lines up and if that's the right personality profile for a treatment coordinator. There's definitely things you could do to, to uh, reduce your risk. But at the end of the day, people are on their best behavior when when you interview them. They're on their best behavior right after you hire them. And they're not necessarily going to become a great team member though. And what I found is that it's not predictable to hire a great team member What's predictable is creating an environment in my practice where people become the better version of themselves. They might be great in my environment where they would not be great, maybe in yours. So I don't know how to find great team members, but what I know is how to create an environment where people can become great. And when I have that environment, then I just need to find good people. People with good attitudes, positive people that have emotional intelligence. They don't have to have a ton of experience. I just need them to operate in this environment. So what I really want to talk about is the environment, the environment that causes people to become a better version of themselves. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list it down into little ingredients. So the first ingredient is everyone has a job title and a list of things they got to do every day. So, if you are a scheduler in my practice, you have certain things you do every day, certain things you do every week, and certain things you do every month that they're all on a simple checklist. Every day you have to do these things. And because it's on a checklist, it's easy for me to train. They know they have to do it and they're reminded. They don't have to remember, they don't have to think about it. It's right on the checklist. They do those things every day. The second ingredient, though, it's not enough just to give them a checklist. Anyone can check off a box and actually do it. The ingredient we have to pair with the checklist is the audit. I have to audit a small sample of the work they do. So if they have some, you know, little task on their checklist, like restock the coffee bar every morning, I have to go check to make sure the coffee bar was restocked. That is bringing accountability to the checklist. So if they don't restock the coffee bar, I see it and I talk to them about it and I remind them they have to. I might train them how to restock it. I have to maybe even give them a warning if they keep forgetting it, keep not doing it. There comes a point though where they're doing it not because it's on the checklist, but they're doing it because they see me walking around checking. That's the environment I need where everyone's given the checklist, the tools they need to remind them how to do a perfect job. And they're being audited or graded. And so that brings accountability and it makes it very easy. And in that environment, they end up doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then it's about positivity. Then when they're graded, thank you. Thank you for doing this. You're doing great today. Thank you so much. That's the communication. But you see, if I don't audit, there's no accountability to them doing their job. And then what happens is over time, I catch things on accident. I catch a restroom being dirty. I catch patients not being reported. I catch patients not having, you know, us not collecting their money. I mean, I catch problems and it becomes stressful and then problems pop up. And I sometimes I catch it because there's a complaint from a patient, complaint from a staff member. All of these things are symptoms. They're not actually the problem. The problem is that I didn't have a checklist with auditing. When I have a checklist for the team member and I have auditing in place and I positively serve them and communicate with them, I create an environment where someone might become the very best version of themselves. And you might walk into my practice saying, Oh my God, where do you find such great people? And I'm like, I don't know where to find great people. I know that most people inherently want to be great. And if you give them the tools and the support and the accountability, most people will become that. Here's a quick little story. My son uh, was on the middle school soccer team and every single player on that soccer team basically struggled playing soccer. The team was not strong. They lost every game of the season, like 10 to nothing, 11 to nothing, 12 to nothing. I mean, they got killed. It was very depressing as a parent, uh, sitting there watching those games and dealing with my child at the end of the game being blown out. They only scored one goal the entire season, and it was an own goal. It was on themselves. All right. So then the next season was basically the same team. Two players graduated onto high school and left the team, and two new players. Got into middle school, enjoy the team. And none of them were good. No one was like a really good player. Um, no one would like make some club team at the highest level. These are just regular kids trying to play soccer. And they got blown out every game the previous season. So how did they do this season? Basically the same team. How did they do? They won every single game by a blowout. They made the playoffs. They went on. They kept going further and further and they ended up winning the entire city championship of San Antonio and they are the smallest school the smallest middle school team in the contest and you might look at the team and say oh my god where did they find such great players they weren't great players what was different about that team from the previous year it was coach the coach was a new coach it was actually me so I'm bragging now I became the coach. And it's not that I'm an amazing coach or anything, but what I did is I changed the environment around the kids. Practices became five days a week instead of three. And in order to make that happen, I loaded the kids up in a van right out of school, took them to the to the field and practiced with them and brought them back to the school so that it was so easy for the parents. And then in practice, I found every. Every player had something they were decent at, and I made sure that we did that thing over and over and over and over and over until they became a master of their one thing. And then on the field, we ran four or five drills constantly, every single practice, to where it became second nature, muscle memory to do those four or five things using the strength, the one strength of that player, and it ended up looking like everyone was amazing. But what it actually was, was an environment created the best version of themselves, the best player they could be for the team, and that resulted in us blowing every other team out and winning first place in the entire season with practically the same team as previous year. Okay, what did we learn from that little story? We learned that it's not about finding amazing people. Everyone. Everyone. ...can become amazing. It's about serving them in a way to be the best version of themselves. And serving does not mean doing it for them. Serving means giving them the tools they need, giving them the accountability they need, and doing it in a positive way. And that is how I know how to build a great team. And when we get down to the nitty-gritty details, it's a checklist... And it's a set of audits. That's what it is. All right. I hope that was helpful for you guys. Um, if you have any questions, if you want me to, to answer your question on, on the video, then please send it to me. Connect with me on Instagram or other social media. Also, if you'd like to learn a bunch of the stuff that I teach about running a high profit practice, go to breakawayseminar.com. Check out my business master's course, which is two days long. It's uh, 400 pages of content and it's pretty darn cool. It's the thing that I've built in my career that I'm probably the most proud of is condensing the mastery of business and dentistry into a two-day high-intense seminar. So check that out. All right, send me your questions and look for your question to be answered on a future episode of Dear Scott. Thanks a lot. (music)